0: Defining the Front, brought to you by the proudly West Australian company, Euros Hartleys. This is a podcast series where we take time out to get to know the story behind the people who front some of Western Australia's leading companies. We look back at some of the moments in their life and career that shaped the journey to being the leader they are today, and provide you with some real insights into the way they think and approach things, both in business and in life. To get the volume adjusted in your car or your headphones sorted, and settle in for a great story, here is your Finding the Front host, Tim Banfield.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for joining us, and what a treat we have for the next two-part podcast of Finding the Front. Our guest for the next two episodes is Richard Hyde, the founder, CEO, and executive chairman of West African Resources. This is a real-life story of a geologist who did the hard yards to learn his trade and continued to build his knowledge the best way he could, who then backed himself in and applied those skills to exploration in Burkina Faso. He then went on to take the company he formed in 2006 from a junior to a gold producer, now targeting 400,000 ounces a year with a market capitalisation that is now in excess of $1 billion. As Richard said to me prior to our chat, Tim, it's not rocket science, it's rock science. So to kick off part A of this two-part episode series, I would like to introduce Richard Hyde, a great guy who provides some amazing insights into his career, significant moments, his first experiences in West Africa, what drew him to build West African resources and the challenges and rewards that he has experienced over this huge journey. Richard, thank you very much for coming along. Fantastic to have you.
2: Great to be here, Tim. Thank you.
1: Yeah, good on you. And look, we've been really excited about this opportunity for some time. We really wanted to just sort of get to know you a bit better as a person and, and really dig down a bit deeper into what you've been able to achieve with West African Resources. And it's quite phenomenal and you've, uh, you've, over a period of time, really hit the ball out of the park. But before we sort of get into that, it's just good to learn a little bit about your background. And um, I know from our conversations we've had in the past, you're actually born in England. Yes. That's amazing. So, a lot of um, people don't know that. Yeah, it's I'm cool. A, I've
2: got two passports, Yeah.
1: So you're, when did you move out from England?
2: Well, my parents emigrated after my grandparents. So um, 81, um, I, I moved out to Australia with my sister and my parents. And then I went to school out near the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. So my, my grandparents had already moved out to the Hawkesbury area. My grandfather was a, um, a lecturer at the Hawkesbury Ag College. That's where he, uh, he, ca- he came out. And then my, my grandmother was a school teacher. So she worked in the Richmond Primary School.
1: So Western Suburbs?
2: Well out west, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, the Blue Mountains is a beautiful spot.
2: Yeah, it is very nice, yeah.
1: And so that was where you started. And uh, how long, did you go to school in Sydney for the whole time or out there?
2: Yeah, so I went to um, Wilberforce Primary School, which is out in the, it's in Wilberforce, uh, and then Hawkesbury High School, uh, which is a public school, and then two years at um, Beed Polding College to finish off after I got myself in a bit of trouble at the end of, Year 10, early year 11 in uh, public school.
1: School was fun?
2: Uh, yeah, it was fun. I didn't do much study. I, I loved cricket. I really thought I was going to play cricket for Australia. It, it was rugby league uh, territory out in sort of western Sydney. Um, so I played rugby league at school and then ended up getting talked into playing rugby union in uh, year 11. So with a mate of mine from, um, from high school. So I played rugby union and played cricket and you know, we were a long way from the beach so there wasn't much sort of water sports unless you wanted to go skiing in the river, in the Hawkesbury yep. River, which was, um, a lot of my mates did, they had friends who had um, a caravan park on the river and they go barefooting and uh, water skiing, but um, that was about as close as you got to water and of course anyone who's been out in, in the Blue Mountains or in Western Sydney knows that coming into summertime, uh, to, towards the end of summer you get these southerly blusters coming through and it'd be hot and steamy and you Playing cricket in the summertime was you know, I look back and think, Gosh, what was I doing? But <laughs> you know. Um and I've got mates now actually who are playing cricket here in, in Perth who are trying to talk me back into playing and um I'm resisting at the moment.
1: But yeah, you, you love your cricket. That's that's very um it's very important. It's a great Australian game.
2: Yes, definitely. And watching the uh the Aussies closely at the moment yeah. and see how they're gonna go with um Justin Langer and how he whether he's uh, gonna have to sort out his coaching style uh with the boys. Maybe he's Tough love isn't working on the new, new breed of cricketers.
1: Very topical. Yes. So, so with school, you ended up doing well enough to to get into university. Geology was uh, part of your ambitions early in life, or how did it all unfold?
2: No, I had an uncle who was an engineer, and um, and he always seemed to do quite well. And I, um, I, I had got enough marks just to get into engineering, and I did a year of engineering, and I um, I didn't go very well academically, I um. Played a lot of cricket, played rugby league on Saturdays. Oh, sorry, rugby union Saturdays, rugby league Sundays. Didn't do a lot of study and I passed one out of eight in my first year of engineering. Um, Wow. I had to to write a letter to go back in to to do a Bachelor of Science. So I I chose science um, and I had chosen chemistry, biology and physics and I had two units left and I got talked into geology by Peter Flood who was a professor of geology at that time.
1: And when you started with geology, did it click? That's where the love of all that passion of earth science, for example, yeah, came about.
2: Yep, and that's um, I, th- I just clearly remember doing um, topic of plate tectonics, and suddenly realizing that you know there's the Earth is mobile and there's plates moving around and mountains are being built and seafloor is being subducted and you know all those sort of earth processes really captured my imagination and. And that's why I got into geology originally, you know. Nearly 30 years later, I'm obviously exploring for gold in in Africa, but I still love listening and, and reading books on earth processes. So I think we talked talked about it previously. My favorite book is um, a short history of nearly everything by Bill Bryson. Yeah, and I think any young aspiring sort of geoscientist or earth scientist, or pretty much anyone who who is into climate change, for example, or, or those sort of topics should actually read that book.
1: Yeah, you have it's mentioned it before, and it's 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 definitely um, one that I'm going to read, but also suggest to others because it sounds mm. very very interesting.
2: Well, because it captures everything, and he does a little bit of everything, which is really interesting. But but also you realise that um, Earth processes that we obviously we're living on a pretty old planet, and it's 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 important because example in western australia you're exploring for gold in arcane rocks that are 2.7 billion years old and so these terrains were accreted and, and mashed up together yeah 2.7 billion years ago and and that's when these big deposits that you find in western australia were formed and then in in west africa you've got protozoic land masses that have been shielded or they're called shields but you know they're they're 2.1 or 2 to 2.1 billion years old so these are earth processes that went on a long time ago and then and what we do now is try and unravel what happened back then and then over the the millennia after that so that we can try and find more gold deposits so that kind of gets yeah. it's a it's a big process but then it helps you put it in context
1: absolutely that's not a bad way of segueing into so when you completed your degree came out of it with a bachelor of science
2: bachelor of science and a um, Had a major in geology. Yes. And a minor in geophysics. Right. So I kind of found my thing that I really was interested in. And I finished my degree in three years after pretty much having a gap year doing engineering in my first year.
1: But having a good time?
2: Had a great time. (laughs) (laughs) I've always had a great time.
1: Oh, no, I have no doubt about that. So, so, but once you finished the degree, your career kicked off.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, at at university then, um, a lot of students who had potential were encouraged to do honours. So a Bachelor of Science with honours was really what all the big companies were looking for 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 graduates. And I got offered a job straight out of university, and I thought, look, I I can always come back and do honours. And New Year's Day, I was flying over to Western Australia, 1996.
1: And that's where you started. That's the first sort of foray into mm-hmm. Western Australia and, and starting. That part of that first job was really gave you the the, the start in geology in earnest, the yep. learning the processes, the methodology of the way, well, mining or well, ge- so exploration I, is done yeah, in WA.
2: That's right. So practical application of gold exploration and that that's what I, I got into straight away. And it's funny, you know, you end up, it's the 80-20 rule. You, you kind of end up using 20% of your degree and in, in the end it's 80% you learn it on the job. Yeah. But occasionally you do need to know, you know, the the foundations of, of science and geology and I think the doing the degree is the most important thing because it teaches you how to learn and how to um, interrogate data and how to be critical with your thinking uh, and that's that's important. Obviously yeah. the, the more study you do, the more critical you can get with that thinking but um, for me it was just finishing that degree and then not really looking back. I've been working ever since, really.
1: What was the first job? Who was that with?
2: Oh, there was um, two chaps called John Baxter and John Chisholm who had a company out in Belmont called um, Continental Resource Management and they were just consulting geologists. And John Baxter was a a pretty well-known structural geologist here in Western Australia. He'd worked for the survey in the 60s and 70s and told us all these crazy stories of, you know, driving his Series 1 or Series 2 Land Rover up and down the coast and you know, driving to pubs in you know, up near Q to, to watch um, um, the landing on the moon, that sort of thing, you know. Right. So got, he, he was a pretty old dude. and Real character. Very, very good. Yeah, I, I remember him clearly because uh, whenever, whenever he came out to visit us in the bush, like, we were living pretty rough. We were in fly camp, so basically sleeping in swags, and you move, move every couple of weeks and set up a new camp. And we were saw sampling up north of um, southern cross and now that that's um it's all iron ore country i'm pretty sure they've they've mined all the bounded iron formations through there but um yeah john would turn up with some terrible red wine and some steaks uh, you know he'd call it his um oh, i can't remember his name his wine but we'd just drink half a bottle and you'd just toss the rest of it but uh <laughs> he um he'd come up with with uh like you know, t-bone steaks and we'd kind of cook them up on the on the fire and he'd tell stories about what he used to get up to when he was younger it was all very entertaining. Yeah, awesome. actually one of his favourite sayings was, um, "Richard, there are two people, those who eat to live and those who live to eat. I am one of the latter." <laughs> <laughs> classic. Yeah, he was a classic.
1: <laughs> so, how long were you with Continental for?
2: Oh, a couple of years. Yeah, and then um, I heard about a job going with Aberfoyle, uh, which was a pretty well-established uh, gold and base metals explorer and miner in Australia in those days. So I um, I jumped across and went across and worked for. Aberfoyle, and um, I was put out into the Eastern Goldfields doing exploration. The team that I was part of then found all the, the ground or found all the deposits out at Caracy Dam, which have been mined now by Saracen. So, you know, I drilled the first holes into Whirling Dervish, which has been mined now. And, you know, one day, actually, I was shouting to Raleigh uh, Finlayson about that at um, uh, Diggers and Dealers. I'd love to get back up there and have a look one day and see what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. But um, Aberfoil is a great company. So, Mike Joyce and Mark Tickle were sort of my two mentors there and I, I spent a lot of time you know working with both of them and I think I learned a lot from them.
1: With yeah. with both those jobs um, did you concentrate mainly in the goldfield or the I think you mentioned you went up into the Pilbara as well. Yeah Kimberley's. Did, yeah. Kimberley's yeah
2: yeah. So after that I um Abberfoyle was interesting because we made this discovery and then the the company was run out of out of Melbourne and the people in Melbourne had made a decision that they were going to trench Uh, They were going to cut back, and so I I was retrenched in 1997 or 98. And um, I remember driving a a, a land cruiser back to Perth and going upstairs into the office and and being given an envelope and being told not to throw it out because there was a check in there. And yeah, it was interesting. So that was, I I had a that's probably the longest in I've had off work actually. I, I was off work for two or three months and. I got a job as a a contract geologist up in the Kimberleys um, doing base metals exploration with um, Western Metals. Right. And then, like, the next summer, Western Metals made a bid for Aberfoyle and I ended up back in the same office uh, that I had previously, so it was kind of bizarre.
1: (laughs) Circular. Mm. With that experience, Rich, in the gold fields but also in Kimberley, I'm sure there's lots of parallels you've drawn from that experience with Now what you're doing in Africa, and I'd like to come back to yeah. that at some point. But just when you look at those regions in in isolation, what are the differences between the gold fields and Kimberley? Similar sort of structural makeup?
2: No, the rocks are different, different ages. Yeah, um, so you're kind of going from Archean to you know, the the Leonard Shelf is Devonian, so it's it's a lot younger. Yeah, still flat lying, so you've actually they're stratiform deposits. So you, you're actually um, exploring and then ended up mining deposits that are, I guess, not too disrupted structurally. So they're, they're still roughly in situ or in a sort of similar sort of position to what they would have been laid down in. Or the mineralisation, if you've looked at those sort of deposits, these base metal deposits, they, they're either stratabound. bound or strata form. Right. And they can be tipped up and, and um, deformed, but the ones that we were looking at weren't too bad. But they're also feeders into those deposits, so some of those deposits were were vein or breccia deposits associated with strata form and strata bound deposits. Very different, but um, the the actual, I guess for me, going from just generally working in Western Australia, we do things to a really high standard here and there's been decades of, I think, fine-tuning on how to find gold deposits and or deposits, base metal deposits. You see today, Charles have put out there their maiden resource for their their project, which is kind of outstanding, and so again, like the Western Australia is kind of leading the world in exploration. So using VTEM, for example, to find deposits, and and I think that's going to be the next leg in Africa is is using more geophysics to find uh, big deposits because you know the way I look at it in the '70s and '80s, gold deposits were found in Western Australia through soil sampling. You know they are either outcropping or pretty close to outcropping, and they were just drilled and yeah, and then you you kind of follow that sort of progression. That's where we are. We're at that sort of stage in Africa. We're still finding deposits that are outcropping. Um, there's been some great deposits uh, or discoveries recently in, you know, in Guinea, in Kina Faso, in Ivory Coast. And the next leg will be applying new geophysics over these areas and finding out the signatures of deposits and, and then reapplying that sort of to other areas and seeing if you can find the similar signatures that may be under a little bit of cover. And then I think there's a lot more potential in Africa still.
1: Did you take away, though, um, with those that sort of upbringing in the goldfields in Kimberley, you know, processes, the methodology around quality exploration techniques?
2: Definitely. Yeah, and I think... Um, which
1: you've applied yeah, subsequent.
2: It goes all the way back to Western mining. Because I think if you look at all of the the quality procedures and processes that, that have found deposits in Western Australia, um, the systems that were set up by Western mining have kind of they're pervasive through all the companies that are working in Western Australia now, because generally someone's worked with someone who was at Western Mining, right? Yeah, you know, there's so many uh, other sort of luminaries that have ended up in other companies from Western Mining, and those sort of systems that were put together back then, you know, logging and and being systematic, using geophysics, using geochemistry, you know, the, the different ways of different different techniques in in both. Uh, it's really what has been so driven the success in Western Australia, which I think is... And, and it go, then it goes all the way through, not just in exploration, and it's also the way we mine deposits here. You know, it's the way we develop projects, so the way we construct and design plants. Yeah, Western Australia, or Perth, really is the centre of excellence in the world for, for mining generally, mining and exploration. And so it's everything that we learn. It's almost like you do four or five years of learning how to do things here and then you can take that overseas. Yeah. And that's what I did. I had the opportunity to do that.
1: So, Rich, with all, armed with all that knowledge and understanding, how did you end up in West Africa when you could have been in the Goldfields, the Pilbara, the Kimberley, and you could have been striving to build your career in Western Australia, which, as you've sort of highlighted, was a, a, an area for excellence? Um but you've taken it and you've gone, right, well there's opportunities and and you know, hats off. But what 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 made you go?
2: I'd kind of done about four years of fly and fly out work. Um I'd been I didn't really have a steady relationship with any sort of the the ladies during that period. So that was so fly and fly out
1: in Western Australia? Yeah, yeah. so
2: or drive and drive out. So it was either a lot of field work. So the first couple of years I was doing sort of six weeks on, two weeks off. And sometimes you'd go and have a weekend in Kalgoorlie and do back to back six week stints. So I did that in my first year quite a lot, and you know I paid my university hex debt off in the first six months just by not. Well, I wasn't earning much money. It was like 130 bucks a day. No expenses. But no expenses. <laughs> 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 and um, yeah, so I, I think um, I, I was kind of keen. I went to the Kimberleys, but I was kind of getting that routine of fly and fly out two weeks on, to, uh, one week off when I was working out of for Western Medals, and then. I was considering doing an um, applied finance degree, the, the FINSA one that all these brokers, that you guys do, because I thought oh, maybe I can get a job as an analyst uh, and do something different. And then while I was working in the office for Western Metals and I'd already said I was going to leave, the guy who I was training up to, to take my job had been offered a job in, in Mali. And I said, oh, right, tell me about it. And so I got talking to him then I rang up Rick Yates um, at uh, Resource Service Group, as it was then, he he told me to come in. I saw Steve Ross, who is still a good mate. He interviewed me for for the job, and I got the job. And the next thing you know, I'm on a plane to Africa on 180 bucks a day. You know, wow. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. Um, I think my first stint was four months in the bush, and I'd come out of the Kimberley. So you know, being a minority, being a like a lot of uh indigenous people and being a white man in a minority position is um well it's not often we're in that position but I certainly was. And, you know, four months in the bush in uh in West Africa was an experience for me, but, you know, I, I kind of really enjoyed it. And it was I was doing exactly the same thing that I was doing in Western Australia, but just it was a different experience, yeah.
1: Well, you would have learnt a lot about being independent yes. and
2: and Pioneering in many ways
1: for you coming out of the comfort zones of yeah. of drive in drive out,
2: yeah. And I think um, look, i have in another country, and, and that's I've of, always been pretty independent, you know, because I I left home to go to university at 17, you know, and and then you know, it wasn't until 2019 that I kind of went back and I caught up with my dad in Japan and we went and watched rugby and I was thinking, we haven't spent two weeks together since I left home, you know, and I was 45 then that's two years ago, yeah. So I've always been independent, um, probably to the point of distraction and annoyment for my my wife and my family, but I've always been able to get on and, and get things done and kind of being a jack of all trades, master of none, definitely. So I can do a bit of everything, which I think is sometimes really good. Um, sometimes it's a bit of a curse as well.
1: Well we've seen we've seen your jack of all trades as, as the story progresses, but yeah. um when you're out there when your first job, and you go out and you, you're four weeks on, yeah. did you wake up one night and go, Oh my gosh, when it? It was four months, <laughs> oh, yeah. Four months, should I say?
2: So I was the only white guy. Um, we had all the Malian, I was living in Mali. Um, I had a, a small team of three Ghanaians with me, and I'd just been dropped off by an Australian, the manager of the company, who'd come back just to, to drop me off in Africa and then left
1: and um, said, good luck, son.
2: Yeah, pretty much. And Jeff Krensky. Jeff said on the way out to the... We were working for a company called Hyundai, which was the big Hyundai, but these um, two or three Koreans in the middle of Africa, it was bizarre. And Koreans can be very uh, structured in, in what they do, as you can imagine. And Jeff said to them on the way out, look, oh, look, we're just happy eating bread and tuna every day, maybe some sardines. And like three months in, they were still feeding us that every day for lunch. So I just ended up kind of breaking ranks and I'd eat with the local guys and we'd have these big, big bowls of, you know, couscous and this sort of dried fish soup on it and, you know, you kind of, it was different. And then I, um, I'd um i eat my bit and then someone put a hand or a finger into my little corner because we were all eating for the same big bowl. Yes. i said, that's it, I'm out, I'm done. <laughs> I lost a bit of weight. Jeez, oh, I had a fantastic rig when I came back after that first <laughs> four months.
1: You would have been um, hardened in the belly.
2: Yeah. Oh yes. Um, surprisingly, and still pretty hard in the belly.
1: So Rich, you said you came back with a, a body that you were pretty happy <laughs> with after after eating couscous salad out yeah. of a bowl. Um that challenge of eating I mean, let's just sort of dwell on that for a minute, because you weren't you probably weren't accustomed to that um style of food or you know, being in another another country with the <laughs> environment you're in, you know, yeah. you must have some amazingly tough stories around getting your body battle-hardened.
2: Yeah, well, it's funny because my, my dad's English and he's a very plain eater. Like, he doesn't – we didn't have any spicy food in his kids growing up. And I can remember my mum my cooking lemon chicken once and he kind of looked at her funny and went to the fridge and got a steak and cooked it. And um, so – When I first started working in WA, I was working with two fieldies, um, uh, Tony and um, Rob, and they'd been surfing up around Indonesia and they used to cook these hot curries. And it was either eat that hot curry or cook for yourself. And so I kind of got used to eating hot food then. And then uh, when you have the choice of either eating dried fish soup on couscous or tuna and a baguette every day... um, the baguette after three days, like they, they only cook them every three days. So day one, they're not bad when they're hot. Day two, they're pretty hard. And day three, you could knock a nail in to a table <laughs> with it, you know. So you just sit down and – I'd it's also – I think, you know, what, what I'm trying to do at WAF is I'm always focused on teamwork and, and trying to get the best out of the team. And even my French is still Cepa Bon, which is – I'm I'm not a good French speaker. I've been trying for a long time.
1: Parlez-vous anglais?
2: We uh, and um, <laughs> we're um, but well, sitting down with your your workforce and I think one of the best things about being Australian is we're egalitarian. You know, we don't have a class system here. Um, well, I don't think we have much of a class system but so I could sit down with a couple of geologists and all the soil samplers and all the locals and, and sit around a big bowl and eat food with them and they'll be going, oh, this guy's eating with us. He must be all right. And, and it, you get the best out of your people when you can relate to them. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. Oh, I clearly remember my 25th birthday in Mali. You know, it was a big party and we had roast duck and gravy and fresh bread. It was fantastic, memorable.
1: Well, they put on a big spread for you. They did,
2: yeah. Yeah, I know. Tababu, that's what they used to call me, the white man. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's crazy.
1: They could stick. Yeah. So, Rich, I just want to move through a little bit about you know, West Africa and understanding that your pedigree in terms of understanding West Africa as a destination for exploration, for mining, um, clearly started from there. Okay, and in 1996 you landed in Perth, off you went to Africa.
2: Yeah, 2000 was my first job in Mali. Yep. And then in 2002 um, I did a short stint in Romania um, with the same group, same consulting group, um, and then an opportunity came up to run the office in Ghana. So I came back and ran the Ghana office, which kind of serviced West Africa. So that was an Australian consulting firm who provided um, exploration resource and mining services to to mining companies and junior companies. So I ended up running exploration programs on behalf of other companies. So we do contract exploration and, and management you know, right throughout West Africa. So we ran in, in Ghana, Mali, Senegal the Kina Faso, Ivory Coast, um, you Sierra you got, got a
1: really detailed overview of yeah. you know, the opportunity
2: set. Well, yeah, so I got to get across a lot of projects in the sort of five or six years that I was based in West Africa and then, you know, and also going back after I'd left, left Ghana, left West Africa, I still went back and um, kind of went back in 2006 and started thinking about setting up my own company.
1: So you had a little bit more cash and uh, came back to Perth, and then thought, right, well, I now know this region, um, and there's an opportunity for me.
2: Yeah, so I, after working there for sort of about five years, I was given the opportunity to come back and work in the Perth office with, um, you know, some really good people. So you know, Rick Yates, um, Julian Barnes, Colin Jones, and Brett Gossage, they were the four principals of, of the company I was working for at the time. And then. Um they merged with a company called Global Mining services so they became r s g global um so Linton Kirk and Nigel Spice, who's on our board now um uh, Peter Nodir, who passed away a few years ago um you know, so a very very kind of solid group of professionals, so I got a good grounding in everything and you know, right you know from obviously I'd done the exploration work and then I was getting a chance to do the study work now and, and interact with um with engineers so you know while I only did a three year degree I kind of did a, a kind of extended sort of education in, in mining by working in that company. I was yes. pretty fortunate. And by kind of the end of 2006, things were just heating up and you know, the stock market was booming and I was doing independent valuations on um, exploration companies and you know, mergers for independent expert reports. Um, we were doing bank work. So looking at uh, Macquarie Bank who were funding projects um, getting us into to review the technical work that was done by other companies. So I got a fantastic grounding in, in a whole heap of stuff that's to do with mining. And by the end of 2006, I thought, you know, I could really... Some of the independent geos reports I was writing for a new, list, new listings, so new floats, you know, I just thought, oh, look, I could put some of this stuff together and float it for $10 million if these guys can.
1: Well, that's part A of this fascinating chat with Richard Hard. It's like opening your Christmas presents early. Part B is around the corner and ready to go.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding the Front, brought to you by the proudly West Australian Wealth Management and Diversified Financial Services Company, Euros Hartleys. If you like what you heard, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and subscribe to the podcast through your podcast host of choice. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please email our fabulous producer, Bridget, on communications at eurosheartleys.com or visit our website at www.eurosheartleys.com. This podcast has been general information only. Euros Heartleys holds Australian Financial Services Licence 230052.